All right, welcome back to the Embody Your Wild podcast. I am your host, Jasmine. I'm really, really excited to be here with Lena today. Um, we met last year. Yeah, it was last year at Medicine Festival. We were in the Healing Village together. And I think it was on the last day we sat and had a really good conversation and have kind of been in each other's spheres since then. So it's really beautiful to have you join I'm just going to introduce you and I'll pass pass the baton over so Lena is a passionate explorer whose life path has taken her on a varied and turbulent journey she blends her experience as a psychedelic integration coach facilitator EFT practitioner chef and psychedelic voyager to create a unique and holistic offering and her deepest calling is to support women going through transformational shifts using psychedelics. Her integrated approach empowers her clients with tools, practices, and guidance so that you can self-resource and tap into their own feminine inner guidance. Although Lena heard the call early on, she knew that before stepping up to guide others, she must be fit for service. Lena's supportive style is largely, largely shaped by her own healing journey, where she has spent many years in deep initiation with plant teachers while recovering from depression. Lena is a grounded and relatable practitioner who believes humor is the most underrated healing practice, practice and loves to explore the intersection between comedy and spirituality. Lena's calling is to work with women who are waking up to their true nature shaking off their conditioning, stepping into their true feminine power. She is a powerful facilitator and thrives in ceremonial space where women come together in raw, unmasked vulnerability. Lena will meet you exactly where you are and hold, you, hold the light for you while you walk towards your most aligned and authentic self. Welcome. Hello. So have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your journey of how you found yourself in this work and on this path as much as you feel willing to share the floor is yours okay so um strange when someone reads your bio and you hear your own journey read back to you um mm -hmm. it's, quite, it's quite funny so you touched a little bit upon my many lives that I've lived and I was a private chef for 20 years and that was quite a grueling profession. It was very, very long hours, um, hard working conditions. And I just got really burnt out several times, but I used to just push through. And then one burnout led to, you know, just a complete collapse. And the depression that I had been, I guess, avoiding dealing with or recognizing for most of my life came to the surface. And I just knew that I couldn't continue the way I was. And on the surface, everything looked great. I had a wonderful job. I was making loads of money. I was traveling, you know, all the stuff that we're supposed to have that's supposed to make us happy. But I just felt just completely empty inside and just kind of couldn't be by myself, couldn't be with myself, really struggled with using alcohol a lot to cope, I think, as many people do. And started therapy. Um, that was the first time I'd asked for help. And it was helpful. It was a great tool. Um, but I didn't I didn't really start to feel like I was coming back. I felt like I was going deeper into the depression, um, deeper into anxiety, and something 
else was calling me something deeper. And then ayahuasca started to come into my sphere as these plant medicines often do. I'm sure you know, um, we tend to hear a calling. And for me, it was ayahuasca, which if anyone doesn't know is a very powerful plant medicine. Um, and I just kept hearing about it everywhere. So one day I went to my therapist and I said, I've heard about this thing called ayahuasca. I think I'm gonna give it a go. Um, and she actually knew about it. She had done it herself and she'd held space for it. So I was so lucky to have this woman who understood. And she actually warned me and said, listen, I don't think this is gonna go well for you. Or this may not go well for you because I was in crisis. At this point, I was feeling suicidal a lot of the time. And I said, look, I don't care. This is, this is you know, a last resort. I'm done. I can't live like this anymore. And so off I went to an ayahuasca ceremony in Lithuania of all places. And it was a pretty, what's the word I would use? Traumatic would not be an exaggeration, difficult, um, very poorly held series of ceremonies. Um, we did five ceremonies in five days. Um, and without going into too much detail, it was just, it was too much. It wasn't supported. There was no preparation or intuition. There was really no support there. Everybody was having really big experiences um, and the energy of the group was very chaotic. Mm. Um, and then we ended up doing two ceremonies back to back, actually. You're supposed to have at least, you know, a day in between and the facilitator decided to do two back to back. So we just came out of one and we went straight into the next one. And everybody cracked in that ceremony. Um, and that's when I decided to leave. I decided it was unsafe and I took myself home back to the UK. And at first I felt amazing, felt wonderful, felt like the depression had lifted, didn't feel any of that heaviness anymore. And I thought it was a miracle. Unfortunately, that didn't last. And in the coming weeks, I began to feel quite unstable. and was experiencing what I now know is a spiritual emergency, which can mimic the symptoms of psychosis. And what I was experiencing were things like auditory hallucinations, um, just a feeling of something almost following me, something that was behind me. Mm -hmm. And every time it would get dark, I would go into a panic. It would just, everything would change and I would feel terrified. I couldn't sleep. I didn't sleep properly for months and I just didn't know what was happening. And again, I was so lucky to have this therapist who said to me, I think it was her, she recommended this book called Spiritual Emergency by Stan Groff. And when reading that book, I realized this is something else. This isn't this psychosis that you hear so much about. This feels like an initiation. Mm -hmm. And again, I didn't have any context for that, but I just kind of kept going. Um, and I used certain tools to get me through that time, like meditations, visualizations. I think writing was my biggest savior. I had to write my way through that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and after a few months of absolute terror and fear and just really, really being on edge, it, I came out of it. I gradually came out of it. But unfortunately, I kind of was pushed back to where I was, back into the depression. I hadn't changed anything in my life, so I just ended up back at you know square one. And that was when uh, psilocybin came into my life, mushrooms. And my first psilocybin retreat was in the Netherlands. And it was a much safer setting. At the same time, it wasn't necessarily a therapeutic setting. And so I had some, you know, some pretty dark stuff that I had to go through. And um, the roots of my depression, you know, like most people, it's, it's challenging material. And so I didn't really feel like I could go into that in this group setting. There wasn't, again, there wasn't enough support. It wasn't, 
necessarily like I had a one-to-one facilitator. So I, I kind of scratched the surface, but I never really got into what I needed to see. And so I came back to the UK and I felt great. But again, the same thing happened. The depression crept back in. All those same feelings came back. And so I decided that I needed to do this work alone. I felt a very strong pull that I needed to do this work alone. And so I began by microdosing with mushrooms and then gradually, gradually working my way up in dose. And this was over years until I was able to start touching upon that deeper material. Um, That was my second initiation. And so those little guys, those little mushrooms, they certainly took me through hell and back. But once I was able to work through that stuff and I found the practices and the tools to work through that stuff, um, breath work in particular was the most powerful tool for me for actually shifting, you know, stuck energy and trauma out of my body because I think that's quite neglected in a lot of integration practices. And things started to change very, very, very slowly. And I got to a point where I felt like, okay, I've reached the bottom of the bucket. I don't think there's anything else here. I think, I think I'm good. I kept going back to check, okay, is there anything else? Is there anything else? That's not to say everything was healed and perfect, but I think I had excavated everything. And so I started to just feel this, this calling, this pull, And as you said in my bio, I heard the call very early on. I heard the call in my first ever ayahuasca ceremony that was, you are supposed to help people. You are supposed to be of service. I just knew that I had to be fit for service before I started helping others. And then I thought, okay, I think I'm almost there. I think I'm almost there. Um, And then this training kind of landed on my Instagram, which was um, with the psyched soul, with Shiri and Godesai. And I signed up to this very expensive training that I couldn't afford. Um, And I just said, okay, I think I need to do this. And so that was a year long training. At the same time, I did some counseling training. I became an EFT practitioner. And I just kind of wove all those things into my integration practice until it was just very, very clear that it was time to start, just start helping. So I did. And that was a couple of years ago. And here we are. And here we are. Wow. I mean, just as I was listening to your story, I just had goosebumps just all over my head. And I was just like deep, some really deep initiations. And I think it's so important for people to kind of hear the process that can come about um, when we are potentially well, yeah, stepping into spaces that aren't well held, that there's no prep, there's no integration, um, that maybe it's not quite the right time. Um, Within your work now, how do you explore the process of preparing someone to step into this work? Yeah. First of all, recognizing that every single person that comes to me is an individual and there is absolutely no one size fits all integration model that I will push on to anybody. So it just starts with a chat. It really just starts with a chat. Who are you? What's brought you to me? And then we go into um, an intake session, which is where I learn about their life. And I find that in the intake, it takes us down different avenues. And I just allow us to go there. So this can span over a few sessions, which is just, I believe that the subconscious brings up in those sessions what needs to be seen. It's almost like a mini psychedelic space. 
and we just follow it. We just allow the subconscious to guide the session instead of going down a checklist or, okay, tell me this, tell me this. The questions get asked, but they get asked in a different way. So it's very intuitively led. And then depending on the person, you know, I just have this toolkit now where I can say, right, which one resonates for you? And the most important thing is that clients understand what feels like a yes and what feels like a no. And so I always say to them, here are some practices. If they don't resonate with you, don't do them. It's pointless. They have to feel like a yes. Sometimes they need to push through a bit of discomfort, but that's different. You know, I like people to be uncomfortable. I make people uncomfortable, but it has to be resonant. And so it's just about which tools fit them at that time. Mm. And then the preparation, you know, I would usually say a minimum of four sessions as a general guide. This is just mm. a general guide, but everyone's completely different. You know, some people, they need six months. Mm -hmm. it's just it depends we start to excavate material and it just depends what comes up what needs mm -hmm. to be processed and the way that I do it I call it reverse integration so I do as much preparation as possible as much of that as possible and when they go into their session what I'm noticing is all of that stuff that we've been working through is just ready to be embodied and it almost just sinks straight into the body it's ready so it happens the processing actually happens in the session as opposed to it being about more excavation so if we can do all of that first, they go much deeper with less resistance and they feel safer. Mm. So that's that's how I work. Lots and lots and lots of prep. I love that. And actually, when you were talking, the, the kind of thought dropped in around like, I mean, no healing work can be forced, but this type of work in particular, you cannot force yourself into a, a space with plant teachers without it bringing up more. You know, there's this if if we feel like I think because there's this like renaissance of plant plant teaching work, plant medicine work at the moment that sometimes people feel like they can get beyond the bandwagon or need to get on the bandwagon because it's the thing. And a lot of people are going in very unprepared. And when you were speaking, I was like, this is the way that we in the West in particular need to meet these these medicines these teachers because you can so very much blow out your system mm -hmm. if you're not ready which is what I did initially yeah. mm -hmm. um so I'm so grateful for that experience because I did it I did everything wrong you know everything you can imagine no prep completely naive didn't do my research didn't ask any questions didn't meet the facilitators I did everything wrong so that other people don't have to, yeah. you know, so I can use that suffering to help other people. Um, mm. And so I mean, I'm not grateful for, I don't think it was a wonderful experience, but I'm making the best of it by, because nobody needs to go through that. It's not necessary part of the process for everybody. I think it may have been for me, but it's just, you know, it's not nice. But I'm really glad you said that about we in the West, because particularly with things like ayahuasca, we do not have a framework for it. If you're from an indigenous tribe and you're using ayahuasca you've been raised around it it's safe to you it's part of your culture you've been hearing about it you live in integration you live the integration whereas here trying to do an experience like that say you go to the jungle and you have this incredible experience then you come back to your nine to five in london in an office i mean it can be incredibly jarring for the psyche it's like mm. what is this you've, you've had this huge expansive experience and now i'm stuck in this tiny box um and so again the preparation prepares the psyche you know, you start to understand, okay, something's coming. It's going to be big. You start to, you know, and this is what EFT is great for, which is tapping. If no one knows what EFT is, um, really great for just 
creating a bridge between the subconscious and the mind just mm -hmm. to kind of get, get it to understand because the mind is such an important part of this as well and I find that we always want to kill the ego we want the ego death we want to banish it but it's it's our friend and we just all need to be on the same page um, and just include mind help it to understand what's coming what's going on so that again it feels safe and there's less mm -hmm. resistance and it's mm -hmm. easier to integrate back into your life afterwards yeah yeah it resonates so much I like my my first experience with any psychedelic was ayahuasca as, as well and I I mean it, it my life changed significantly from that point I, a lot of things fell apart um and it wasn't something that I was prepared for either, you know, and it took a long time. It, 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 Like how you said, it happened exactly the way that I personally needed. However, the space again was poorly held and all of the things, there was no integration, um, there was no support. And it's almost a disservice to the, to the people coming into spaces. Um, of just allowing them to have an experience with no support. And I think this is the new model. And the way that you said it can take six months, six months worth of sessions, four weeks worth of sessions, that is a per person-centered approach to this work. And it's the only way that it should be available. I know it's not available to everyone, but it's. It, I think it's so important to be working in this way, especially if people are coming in for deep healing. Yeah, I think that's the distinguishing factor is when it's, you know, these can also be recreational. Let's not forget about that. They can be mm -hmm. fun. You don't necessarily need an integration coach to go and have a great time in the woods with some mushrooms. That's great too. Mm -hmm. There's so many different ways we can heal. But, you know, when you, you were talking about support, we can't necessarily be prepared for what's to come because psychedelics are the unknown. That's mm -hmm. the one thing that's always going to be true. It's the unknown. We don't know how our lives are going to change. We never know what's outside of our conscious awareness. And it can be really shocking. And then really obvious when we see it, when we see it in ceremony, like, oh, of course, you know, I need to quit my job and move to a different country and, you know, change my name. Obvious. However, you can't prepare for that. So support is so important. So even though in the preparation phase, we can't plan for every eventuality, but you know, you've got this person to come back to, you know, you've got this person who gets it, this person who's been there and who won't laugh at you, who won't make fun of you, who won't minimize your experience, who will listen. And that is so, so healing. Yeah, 100%. Uh, on that note, so we do have like massive experiences when we go into ceremony. Um, mm -hmm. And if someone was to come, like come to you, they've had this really big experience, they've decided to leave their job, move countries, change their names, what would you offer as without telling them what to do, guidance in that moment? First of all, I've done all of those things. <laughs> sometimes it was the right decision. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it was impulsive. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to take a step back, look at the bird's eye view and say, okay. I mean, some people have this rule of you don't make any big decisions for a month or three months or you sit with them. I don't necessarily have that rule because I know people who've been on the edge before they've gone into their ceremony, who've been like, this job is killing me. I hate it. You know, they're fine financially. They actually can leave. They actually 
are able to make the change, but something's been stopping them, a little bit of fear or some kind of attachment. So when they come out of their session or ceremony and they say, oh my God, it's so obvious now that I need to quit this job. And what I say is psychedelics will never help you to tolerate the intolerable. They will never let you go, oh, actually, I'll just put up with this job for another five years because it's good money. They're never going to let you do that. They're going to give you a big slap in the face with reality. So if that person comes back and says, do you know what? I think I'm done. Mm. I won't stand in their way. You know, I might question it and say, okay, are you sure? Do you have all the practicalities in place? Or is there a compromise? Can you take a period of time off to reflect on this? So I think reflection is always really important. Letting it settle is always really important because everything's very magnified when we come out of a psychedelic session. Mm. Um, you're probably familiar with parts work, which is, you know, that we all contain various different parts. And so in psychedelic journeys, the parts become very big. It's usually the ones that we haven't really been listening to. Mm -hmm. And so if the one that wants to quit the job has become very loud, that one's going to be at the forefront. But with time, you don't really have to do anything. It's just time that part will eventually integrate itself back into the system. As long as you've heard it, it will quieten down. And mm -hmm. so it's about taking the message from that part, distilling the message and saying, okay, I see that you're burnt out. I see that you've had enough of this job. I get it. And it will just say, thank you so much for listening to me. Now I'll just be quiet. And then adult you steps in, you know, integrated you steps in and makes a decision from that integrated place. Mm -hmm. And then you just bounce it off your coach or your therapist and, if anything's reckless or if anything sounds really too impulsive, definitely I would flag it to somebody. But, you know, again, it depends on the person. It's all very individual. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. What does, again, again I know, I, I already half know the answer to this question because it's a blanket state, blanket question is, what does an integration process look like post? Oh, my post yeah again I'm gonna repeat myself again and say it's very individual yeah <laughs> so with it begins with I usually like to see people between three and seven days after their experience mm. because the first few days so there's the acute integration phase and then there's the longer term integration so in the acute phase it's just rest and it sounds so boring but it's just rest just go to sleep go and touch a tree go and be in nature just really if you, you can take some time off work even better um Quite often people want to squeeze this into a weekend and then go back to life and there's so much juice to be squeezed from these experiences if you can allow them to unfold in stillness mm. and so that's my first tip um I encourage people to do a mind dump which means when you're done when you're back when you've landed get everything out because you begin to forget and people usually come out like I won't forget that and like you probably will forget some of it which is okay maybe you don't need to remember everything but for me personally, I love to have it to look back on. I love to do a voice recording and then you leave it for a few days. You don't need to go into analysis. You don't need to start looking through everything. Just leave it, look after yourself, self-care, resting, take a nice bath, have some grounding food, be in nature, do the things that make you feel good. And then, um, yeah, we'll have a meeting after that. And that's usually a really beautiful session. It's an unpacking where they get to tell me all about the adventure they've been on and, um, then things start to come from that you know my job is just to connect the dots for them so while they're well we do it together while they're telling me things you know i'll be making notes and we'll go back and reflect upon their intention and okay how do these things connect um and then again it will continue to unfold the first three weeks are a crucial time and that's also when you have this kind of window of neuroplasticity so if anything comes up like for example a change of habit 
someone comes out and says, you know what, I really need to look after myself better. I want to implement this habit. I want to start this hobby. It's like, do it now. Do it now while your brain is so open to change and you can create these new imprints. And also, again, that's where the EFT comes in. If somebody's in a really amazing, peaceful state or a really happy state, we can start to strengthen that with EFT. We can make an imprint of that because it will change. Nothing is permanent. And that goes for the more challenging states of mind as well. If somebody comes out and they feel really depressed, the word depressed is something I hear a lot. I feel really depressed. And it's so important to distinguish whether this is depression or whether this is grief because they show up almost identically in the system. Mm -hmm. And so even just releasing stuck energies and old energy in a psychedelic journey can create grief because you're just losing something. And you don't always have a story attached to that. Sometimes it's really obvious, like, oh, this thing came up about an ex-partner or this thing came up about a parent that I lost. Then it's very obvious. But sometimes it's a bit more subtle. It's a bit more energetic. And again, it's just being with the body sensations, allowing them to come through you. Breath work is amazing for this, for the residual emotion that's left after a psychedelic journey to almost just keep emptying that well until it's done. So those are kind of the main the main tools and practices that I would offer mm. yeah what would you offer as guidance for someone who is potentially embarking on this type of work for the very first time first of all I love working with first timers because they're so open mm-hmm. you know they don't have any comparison mm-hmm. they come to me and they just you know they they might be a little bit fearful, but they don't have any of that really challenging material to, to kind of be scared of. And also mm-hmm. they come, they're just kind of a blank slate. Mm-hmm. And so I love doing lots of preparation with them as well, because one thing I'll advise is don't read too much about this. I made this mistake early on and I kept reading about people's experiences and watching videos of people throwing up in ayahuasca journeys on YouTube and quite honestly scared the crap out of myself. And a lot of it came up in my journey. So it was almost like this stuff will influence you. And so my biggest piece of advice is to empty as much as possible. Stop filling yourself up because we honestly have enough content for lifetimes worth of psychedelic journeying, but start to empty. So just silence things in your life. You know, Don't watch the news in the days leading up to your journey. Stay off social media if you can. And if you can't, that's okay too. It doesn't matter. But just make a conscious effort to stop taking in things like gossip, things like people emotional emotional dumping on you, because quite often that stuff will come up in your journey. Sometimes it's meant to, sometimes you could do without it. So it's just leaning into your intuition, but really just being as clear as possible so that you can have your journey and it's not influenced by too many external factors. Yeah, yeah, I hear that completely. When I stepped onto this path for the first time, very few people knew. I t- I didn't tell many people. Mm. Um, possibly partly because back then it wasn't so acceptable. Mm. Um, maybe a little bit of shame because I come from a very strict family where this 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 type of thing is involved. What would you say to someone who isn't sure how to kind of like speak to people mm-hmm. around them about what they're doing? Oh, this is such an important one. Just a question. Did you ever come out of the psychedelic closet to your family? Mm. 
to my mum mm -hmm. and she ha still has a lot of very strong projections about mm -hmm. it and I'll just leave leave it at that um but yeah my my rest of my family no no mm -hmm. so it can be challenging right it can mm -hmm. be really challenging and I think even me I carry this programming around drugs Every time I go into a session and I drink my tea or I eat my chocolate, mm -hmm. I get the same story every time. Oh my God, you've taken drugs. What if you've taken too much? What if you jump out the window? What if you never come back? What if you go crazy? The same thing. And I see you nodding your head and laughing because it lives in all of us. You know, mm -hmm. I think we all have these people come into our schools as children and tell us drugs are bad and they're going to kill us. And mm -hmm. so that programming lives on. Now I just, I can watch it and I can observe it and I can laugh at it, but it comes up every single time. And so I empathize for people like our parents who mm. grew up a generation even before that. Um, and also I have, you know, quite, I wouldn't call my parents conservative, but I would say this is just not something that they accepted very easily. Um, I'll just tell my story because it's quite a funny one. I was forced to come out of the closet because I, the first retreat I went on that I was speaking about, the psilocybin one, um, it was such a funny retreat. They were making it into a TV show. So there was cameras there filming these two guys having the experience. And there was a reporter there. And so I got friendly with this reporter who's still a friend now. And he said to me afterwards, you know, I thought your story was really interesting. Could I include you in a piece I'm writing about psychedelics? And this was in a very big newspaper. And I said, oh my God, okay, do you have to use my name? And he said, yeah, I do have to use your name. And I said, so if I do this, I need to tell because people are going to see this, you know? So I said, yes. And then we did the interview and I met up with my parents a couple of days later and I was like shaking. I was like, I have to tell you something I've been doing. All of that shame, all of that embarrassment, all of that feeling naughty. Um, and I just told them, I said, look, I've been struggling with depression and this is what I've been doing. And do you know what? They were all right. They surprised me with how positive their reaction was. Mm. It's been up and down over the years, to be honest with you, but I was almost forced to do it. And then hilariously, the article never got published, but that happened for a reason, because yeah. I think I need to share that with them. Mm -hmm. um, what I would say is choose carefully who you share it with, especially after a journey. So after you have a journey, sometimes you want everyone else to experience it. It was so amazing. All you want to do is pick up the phone and say, oh my God, I've had this incredible experience. Everyone has to do this. It should be put in the water. You know, Donald Trump needs to to do this the whole world you know every, a lot of people come out with this and I get it because it's amazing but it's almost like telling somebody about your dreams they really struggle to step into your experience and understand the importance or how vivid it was and so people can often feel a bit dismissed or a bit rejected if they're sharing with somebody and they don't get the reaction that they want and so it's just be very careful who you share with quite honestly and mm -hmm. it's a very private experience as well and one that needs to be incubated mm. so the more that you hold it and the more that you sit with it yourself the more it starts to give you and it can be diluted by sharing it with too many people and so again this is not a sales pitch but having an integration professional working with you means that you've got this one person who's going to be just as excited as you are who's going to understand how amazing it was and so you get that relief of just being able to tell somebody but you know you're not going to get that almost negative response or you know just just not what you not what you needed because you're you're also very vulnerable after an experience like this so yeah that would be my advice just be discerning 100 you're, you're like a newborn baby after a ceremony totally, totally. 
Mm. And what do newborn babies need? They need to be held. They need to be treated gently. Mm. And it's your job to do that for yourself. Mm -hmm. Anyone else's job. Yeah. No, but yeah, I like I can deeply, deeply resonate. It like the spirit, the psychedelic closet. Yeah, it's funny because obviously, like I speak about microdosing online, um, but I also, it is not a conversation that's had within my family. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know what that means to them or how much they know. But it's for me. I'm, I've got my feet out I'm out but they I think they're still in it maybe yeah. so <laughs> it's, it's also like, frustration because you want yeah. people you want to be understood as human beings we really want to be understood it's a need mm-hmm. and a big part of this journey is being okay with not being understood yeah and really sticking to your guns and sticking for me you know there were so many times where I've doubted myself along this path because it got really hard for me like mm-hmm. really took me to the edge many many times and mm-hmm everyone around me was telling me I was crazy everyone around was like what are you doing nobody supported me mm-hmm. and so I was hanging on by a thread mm-hmm. by an absolute thread and I really didn't have any support and I had to just keep trusting everyone always says trust the process but what does that actually mean for me it meant there has to be an end to this there has mm-hmm. to be a light at the end of this tunnel and it wasn't a huge giant you know eureka moment but it happened gradually mm-hmm. and I think the is in the pudding and that the people around you will notice a change and when I've noticed it's easy to have the conversation is when someone approaches you and says hey you know what you've really changed what's going on or I'm noticing a difference in you what's going on and then people seem really open to hearing about it Mm. yeah yeah do you find that since you kind of like at, at the beginning of your journey when you were kind of in those deep fires of initiation to now do you feel like obviously you're working in the in the in the area but do you find that more people who maybe are not into this world are more receptive because there's more information coming into the mainstream or do you think it's about the same yeah no definitely the majority of people who come to see me now they're first timers and they've Mm. read my book or they've seen that documentary on netflix how to change your mind Mm. so on one hand I'm very pleased that it's bringing people Mm. to to this work on the other hand what I'm also seeing is they make no mention of integration in these books and in these documentaries and they're really showing psychedelics through this magical bullet lens of this is going to take away your pain this is going to take away your suffering this works like a pill it just Mm. doesn't work like that so those of us who are here in the trenches can see how much work it actually takes, particularly if you're suffering from something like depression or long-term anxiety or trauma, it takes a long time and it should take a long time because change should be gentle. Mm -hmm. But understandably, people do want their suffering to be taken away. Mm -hmm. And there's often a bumpy ride with the first couple of journeys when they realize, oh, hang on, that's not, it's not gonna work like that. And then I'm there to catch them when they do fall. Yeah. And part of my job is expectation management and is really being kind of the bearer of bad news sometimes, like the doom and gloom that comes along and says, listen, this isn't going to do what you think it's going to do. And mm-hmm. particularly with psilocybin, it's, I don't like to use the word gentle to describe it because it's certainly not, but it definitely tends to give people as much as they can handle. Whereas some mm-hmm. of the bigger medicines, ayahuasca, doesn't care. It will just throw all of your trauma in your face in one ceremony and then go away and you have to deal with it. Psilocybin, I see it as a long-term 
treatment or a long, you know, let's take depression, for example, I see it as a long term treatment, you know, in the clinical trials that they've done with it, I think they've given two sessions to people. And then they've said, well, they've relapsed. But that's like saying I had two therapy sessions and it didn't work. It to me, it's like it's spiritual surgery. It's a kind of ongoing mm-hmm. therapy. It's not something that's going to change you in two sessions. You may have amazing insights and you may definitely change as a person. Your values may change. A lot of things about you may change. But integration means taking the content and using that to make the change. And that's where the work happens. It happens in the in-between, you know? Oh, yes, 100%. And I loved what you said going back to the first part of what you just shared is this idea that it's like a a magic pill um Mm. there's definitely magic in it however you know it's it works completely different to medications pharmaceuticals whereas they like numb sensation Mm. and put a band-aid it brings it all up to the surface and it's like that that is one of the key things that people need to know when stepping in that it's it's definitely magical but it's not a fix fix all pill in one session yeah I completely agree with you I always liken it to if you're comparing it to an antidepressant for example antidepressants make you feel better psychedelics make you feel Mm -hmm. so they may make you feel absolute horrendous grief Mm -hmm. they may make you feel pain they may make you feel rage you'll need you'll feel the things that you've been depressing you know mm-hmm. so it's very very different and it's not for everyone you know I really have to say that it's not for everyone some people it's just too much you know it's just too overwhelming and mm-hmm. it happens quite a lot where people have quite severe trauma and they'll go into one of these sessions and say well nothing happened and it's because they have such fierce defend defensive mechanisms against going there mm-hmm. and there's a reason for that so we don't want to bulldoze through all of that stuff we want to go gently and again that's why I like psilocybin because it does go quite gently and you can also work with microdosing which is supportive along the way and in between and in the preparation phase that's a way for people to kind of meet the medicine like a handshake you know and then when they come to take that larger dose the body and the system has this recognition of like oh I know you you're okay you're safe come on in you know it's like a bouncer it's like yeah all right mate come on in Whereas if it doesn't recognize it, be like, whoa, what's this? You stay away. And then all mm-hmm. this resistance comes up and all this discomfort. Mm-hmm. So I can't remember what your original question was, but um, I'll just end it there. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember either. I was just so messed in what you were saying. <laughs> but I, I did love what you said about, um, you said antidepressants make you feel, numb, better. Make you feel yeah. better, whereas psychedelics make you feel and we don't give ourselves permission to feel we don't and that's why I love this work is because it's um, it's a permission to feel but it's also something that we may not be ready to feel so that's when preparation is key like yeah yeah you're right and also we don't know how to I didn't know how to feel my emotions I had no idea how to feel an emotion. I was so blocked off and I was so numb that mm. it had to be slow. You know, it had to be slow. I had to learn how to let myself cry in a puddle of snot and tears for three hours on the floor. And I still do that. That mm. is a sacred practice, let me tell you. Um, 
but it was really scary to go there. And one thing I really want to speak about, and this is particularly with women, anger. Mm. We really struggle to feel anger and we really struggle to allow ourselves to feel anger. There's so much fear around getting angry because we're scared that we're going to become aggressive and we're scared that we're going to get stuck there. Because I think for a lot of people, anger, it leaks. We all have so much repressed anger, it's unbelievable, but it leaks, leaks in the form of irritation, snapping, road rage, you know, all these things, when in fact, it just needs to be expressed. And so learning how to be angry, learning how to create a safe container for yourself to actually do anger work is absolutely life-changing for so many people. But it's one of the scariest things to feel. It really is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It can feel so consuming, like it's never going to end yeah but when you are able to meet it you harness it and it becomes a driving force moving mm. forward it's it's but it's such a process with rage and anger it's yeah it's beautiful in its way terrifyingly beautiful yeah and it's such a physical energy mm. some of the some of the emotions aren't as physical as anger is and it's mm. quite explosive so it almost needs to be felt through the body and processed through the body mm. so you can journal as much as you want around anger but quite often there needs to be a physical kind of catharsis to actually get that out of the body and again to get to that stage it's very difficult mm -hmm. very difficult to get to the point where you can scream because how mm. many of us have ever actually allowed ourselves to scream and open up that throat and open up that voice probably not many and I don't mean screaming at somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I mean screaming in that animal way of just like, ah! you know, that way of just, I want this to leave my body. Yeah, like primal. So primal, exactly. Mm, yeah, I totally hear you with that one. Is there anything else that you feel called to speak into? Is there anything that you, any, any other threads of this conversation that feel? Let's see just one more that's just popped into my my mind which is that we can't continue to do this healing work by ourselves and how powerful community is and mm -hmm. why I'm so called to start working with groups of women because many women have a lot of wounding relational wounding around how we communicate with each other how we've competed with each other all this you know bullshit program that we have and those corrective experiences, they happen in community, they happen in groups. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important to just take breaks from doing the work and not being so bogged down in all of it and finding humor in it and going into those lighter moments as well. Because I see a lot of people who, they get stuck in this healing work and I've been one of these people and just, you need to come up for air, you really mm -hmm. do. You, it's not a race because there's absolutely nowhere to get to. There is no destination. This is a lifetime, if not lifetimes of, of work. So just take the pressure off. Take the pressure off and have some fun. That's my only, the only last thing I wanted to say. Totally, totally agree with that. So important. Thank you for bringing that in. So if people were curious about your work, where, would they, where can they find you and what have you got on offer at the moment and in the future? So you can find me on my website. Um, you can find me on Instagram. And where else am I? Um, I'm offering, the thing I'm most excited about right now is Integrate, which is my up and coming women's retreat, which is happening May 8th to 13th in Portugal. This is gonna be an incredible experience. It's 
um, a group of seven women and it's going to be inside of a course. So we've created a self-led course, which is going to take you through all of the stuff I've just spoken about, plus lots and lots of somatic practices. So I'm working with a wonderful collaborator and she's a yoga teacher and she's a somatic practitioner. So she's bringing in all of that beautiful body work. And I'm coming from more of an integration preparation. So together we're covering, covering a lot. And so we're also going to do lots of group prep calls. So when you show up to the retreat, you're going to know the people, you know, you're already going to have this connection to the women. Um, and it's just going to be so much fun. We're having a dance party in there. We're having cacao in there. It's going to be great. And it's in the most stunning location in a valley. Um, and yeah, it's going to be a one psilocybin journey with a live sound bath as well which is just going to be amazing. And then we also have the follow-up. So we're also doing a guided integration afterwards. So we don't, we, we're with you every step of the way. So if it's your first kind of adventure into plant medicine, this is a great way to start. Mm -hmm. And so there's that. And I'm also going to be exhibiting at the Mind Body Spirit Festival in London at the end of May. And so if anyone wants to see me or meet me, that's a great place to come and stop by. And yeah, one-to-one -one coaching. I have spots open for one-to-one -one coaching. I offer packages of two months and four months as well as I've got some other stuff cooking but that's for now that's yeah those are my my main offerings right now amazing thank you so much and I'll pop the links to all of your bits and bobs in the show notes so people can click through nice and easily oh one other thing I have a meetup group on meetups so if you want to come to any of my online circles or workshops sign up you'll get notifications amazing thank you so much this has been so lovely it's so beautiful to hear the work that you're doing and just the wisdom that pours through you is just incredible so thank you so much for coming thank on thank you for having me it's really nice to chat with you again yeah, yeah. thank you thank you